Tree planting became a natural choice to address some of the initial basic needs identified by women. Also, tree planting is simple, attainable, and guarantees quick, successful results within a reasonable amount of time. These are all important to sustain interest and commitment. Wangari Madai was a Kenyan social, environmental, and political activist. She founded the Green Belt Movement in 1977 to empower communities, and in particular, women, to conserve the environment and improve livelihoods. The movement has helped plant more than 50 million trees across sub-Saharan Africa. In 2004, the trailblazing Wangari became the first African woman to be awarded a Nobel Peace Prize for her contributions to sustainable development, democracy, and peace. Through their involvement, women gain some degree of power over their lives, especially their social and economic position and relevance in the family. Although initially the Green Belt Movement tree planting activities did not address issues of democracy and peace per se, it soon became clear that governance of the environment was impossible without democratic space. Therefore, the tree eventually became a symbol for the democratic struggle. This work continues. Welcome back to Africa Science Focus. I'm Halima Afmani. Wangari passed away in 2011, but her daughter, Wanjira Madai, is carrying on her legacy. Wanjira is the Vice President and Africa Regional Director of the World Resources Institute, a global non-profit environment research organization. She caught up with our reporter, Michael Kaloki, to talk about trees, climate change, and Africa's future. Uh, could you tell us about your childhood and the memories of your mother, Wangari Madai? Did you look up to her as a child, and were you impressed by her work? Yeah, my mother was a great source of learning. She taught me uh, a lot of things. She said a lot of things, Mike, that I always tell people. She used to say things to us that were obviously well beyond our age. And sometimes it's only now that I remember, oh, that's what that meant. You know, I, you know always do the right thing. She used to tell us public opinion notwithstanding. And I remember as a child hearing that and thinking, what a long word public opinion notwithstanding. I didn't know if it was one word, two words, three words, but it was so much a part of who she was. And, you know, always believe in yourself. Don't ever let anybody tell you who you are. You must always look at yourself from your own mirror, you know, and all of those wonderful things. So, yes, she was a great source of inspiration for me. Wunjera, you are passionate about finding ways to stop as well as reverse deforestation. What is the current state of deforestation in sub-Saharan Africa? And what strategies do you think can be put in place to deal with deforestation? Well, yes, I mean, that is one of the things as I grew older, just my mother's love for trees uh, did get to me. And, and I, I must say that agenda, the restoration agenda, and certainly the deforestation challenge are ones that are very close to my heart. For Africa, sub-Saharan Africa, 
This is a very big issue. Africa has the greatest restoration potential in the world. 700 million hectares of land need to be restored. We also know that from COP26, nature saw the light of day in a way that we haven't seen. And the reason that is, is nature plays such an important role in mitigating against climate change cushioning us against the worst impacts. In this current decade that we are in, and now the next eight years, nature is going to be a crucial part of the, of the climate solution. So restoring Africa's landscapes, restoring Africa's forests, protecting the forests that we have is a crucial part of addressing the climate crisis. Now, there has been a debate here in Kenya over the years where in some regions, such as in parts of the East, some community members have said that they need to cut down the trees in their forests because the trees are their only source of livelihood. They need the trees for firewood and they need to sell the wood to make some money. Yet, there have been calls from other quarters for them not to cut down the trees. Would you, in this case, understand the concerns of the communities in regards to their economic livelihood? Uh, Africa has the greatest need for energy access. We have the largest number, 70% of people don't have access to electricity on the African continent. So the, yes, they're using biomass and other sources of energy. And so we've got to create alternatives and invest in alternatives so that we can then reduce the impact on forests. The truth of the matter is, it isn't the case that they need to cut the forest. It's because we haven't, as a government, as a country, prioritized access to energy for these communities. Therefore, yes, I, I would definitely, in their situations, do the same thing. But we have to prioritize the fact that those forests play a role that nothing else can play. And so as a country, prioritize protecting those forests even as we invest in alternative sources of energy. It is also very true that cooking with biomass kills. That's another thing that we also have to protect our people against. It is the fourth, I think, leading cause of death in the world. And we are losing millions of people every year, thousands in Kenya alone, due to uh, indoor air pollution complications. We've got to find a way for clean cooking to be a priority as well. And so it's not really so much about cutting the trees, it's about addressing energy access as a matter of priority this decade. In the communities you're working with, are you providing them with any solutions for clean cooking? Well, we work, definitely work closely with people who do. The Global Alliance for Clean Cookstoves, this is their single agenda. The biggest challenge they have, of course, is behavioral. How people cook and how people are used to cooking, that sometimes is a challenge. How do you get people to make the shift? It's not cheap. The financial ability to purchase these technologies that allow them to cook in cleaner ways, the fuels that are required, the policy incentives to ensure we can drive down the cost of these technologies from our own governments. It's an all-of-economy, all-of-society approach, and it makes sense for the environment. You have said in the past that women are often the custodians of food in communities and that with the degradation of the environment comes interference with food systems. Do you feel women in communities here in Kenya and other countries in sub-Saharan Africa are adequately involved in managing the environments they live in? Well, we, we have a long way to go, obviously. Giving access 
to land and tenure to women is extremely important. And that's not something we see that often. But I have to say the experience of the Greenbelt Movement, still one of the best organizations that I know, working with women at the grassroots level, inspiring them to take charge of their environment, to take charge of their food production, to take charge of how they manage the natural resources around them because they have that control is a really important thing. It is true that women are the first often to feel the impacts of a degrading landscape. They're the ones who fetch the water and they're having to walk further and further away for it. They're the ones who uh, get the firewood and get the fuel and they're not finding that closely either. And they're, of course, the ones who cook and are the custodians of energy in the household. And that's a challenge as well. That's why women have always responded first. The Greenbelt Movement, in its call to action, that we restore these landscapes and we restore our ability to produce food, healthy food, it's women who responded first. But there's still a long way to go. Africa is on the front lines of the climate crisis. Many communities are already experiencing what's known as loss and damage. That's the irreversible impacts of climate change, such as extreme weather like floods, droughts and wildfires. Loss and damage became a major issue at last year's COP26 Global Climate Talks. Wanjira tells Michael why this year's climate change summit, COP27, is critical for Africa. The single most important issue as we face the impacts of climate change and as science gets clearer and clearer about how devastating those impacts will be if we breach the 1.5 degree increase limit speaks uh, seriously to the existential nature of us as an African community. And so the African COP will focus squarely on adaptation as well as loss and damage. And the issue of loss and damage in particular, Mike, the fact that we have, as an African continent, contributed only 4% to global emissions, but are already suffering such significant impacts from uh, the impacts of climate change is absolutely unjust. And it is that injustice that loss and damage seeks to address. We cannot ignore it. In fact, we should see more and more people stand up for climate justice. And if we say we are standing up for climate justice, we must speak up for loss and damage because there can be no climate justice without addressing loss and damage. Over the years, you have been trying to create awareness about the importance of trees, not only to Kenyans, but to others across the continent as well. Do you think your mother would be proud of what you've accomplished? Well, I hope so. But I think she would say, keep going. My mother was never one to stop and celebrate small gains. She always worked tirelessly and often we had to stop her. Others had to stop her to tell her, hey, you've been recognized for this, that and the other. I so admired that about her. She just kept working. She kept going. And for us, really, Mike, I'm just a privilege to be doing the work that I do because I feel like it's rather personal. Africa is my continent. Kenya is my home. And these issues affect us as a people. And so I feel like I'm making my small contribution to addressing them for all of us. You are the chairperson of the Wangari Madai Foundation. And one of the aims of the foundation is to mentor the youth in matters regarding the environment. Why do you feel mentorship is important? 
Mentorship is crucial, especially because we are a very young continent. Africa is the youngest continent in the world. And as you know, in Kenya, the average age of young people today is 35 years old, maybe even younger now. So we have a lot of work to do because this is the constituency. This is the, the group of young people who will lead us into the future. All of these commitments we are making, 2020, 2030, 2063, all those will be ushered and delivered by young people. Of course, the Wangari Mathai Foundation is inspired by the life and work of my mother, Wangari Mathai. And for her, all of what she did, if what she did was inspiring, she always attributed it to the fact that her childhood was colored by an acknowledgement and a love for the natural world. And so we also take that uh, knowledge that is pretty much the center of our theory of change, that if we can inspire young people early, and they will be the next Wangari Mathais. Do you feel that you and your mother, the two of you, have paved the way for future generations? Well, my mother, certainly. I think I'm still a work in progress. I think she, she definitely paved the way. Green spaces that were saved by her and the Greenbelt Movement 30 years ago are the most visited places for recreation in our country, in our city of Nairobi. I'm inspired greatly by that. <clears throat> and the fact that it was, they did it for the common good, for all of us, for all our children. And I remember at one time my mother saying, you may not see uh, a free Karura forest, but your children certainly will. But look, look what happened. I've been enjoying Karura Forest as much as I can. So things can change and things can happen and change can come quite quickly. But it takes a lot of sacrifice and it takes a lot of work. Karura Forest in Nairobi has come under threat from development many times in the past 30 years. But Wangari Madhaya and fellow campaigners have fought to protect it. As a board member of her mother's Green Belt movement, Wanjira is continuing the battle for Africa's green spaces. If you'd like to find out more about Wanjira Madai, head to the SciDevNet website. That's www.scidev.net. And you can subscribe and catch up on all Africa Science Focus episodes on your favorite podcast app. Today's program was produced by Harrison Lewis and edited by Fiona Broom with reporting from Michael Kaloki. Africa Science Focus is produced by SciDevNet and distributed in association with your local radio station. I'm Halima Athmani. See you again next week. This program was funded by the Carnegie Corporation of New York. <laughs>